Are you ready? Are you ready? This is a question that gets asked a lot. There's a lot of getting ready for whatever it is that that just comes next. Get ready, right? In fact, in, in movies and literature, there's this thing called the arming of the hero scene, which is the pre- preparation of the hero for battle. And you, you've seen this in, in movies. You've either seen the arming of the battle, the, the hero scene, or you've seen a take on it, right? Where the... They'll be like strapping on all of the weapons and putting on the armor and the battle gear and all of this stuff because they're getting ready and you just know, yep, this is it. We are preparing because something important is about to happen, right? And, and sometimes you'll see a ridiculous take on this in cartoons where they'll pretend they're having an arming of the, the hero scene. And it's funny because we know they're not really a hero and they're not really going into anything that's that big of a deal. Well, in my house, we have an arming of the hero scene every single morning, and it sounds like this. Find your shoes! Grab a coat! Pack your lunch! We're late! Every single morning. We start 15 minutes before it's time to go, just in case that's enough time. Not so far. But this question, are you ready, are you being prepared, is the the language of the text that we find ourselves in this morning. As we're continuing in our uh, series through 1 Peter, we're now in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it starts reading like this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." This, this language here about this faith and hope being in God is just um, reflective of the things that we have been hearing from First Peter already. This salvation and hope that we have in Jesus. And he's saying in th- verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds and being sober-minded. It's that, that language of make sure you get your shoes cinched up tight. Make, make sure you are prepared. Almost like war imagery, that's this preparing of the, the mind. That, 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 that you're preparing for war, you're preparing for battle, you're arming yourself and getting ready. And look at, look at this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. If up to this point you had somehow thought that this was trivial stuff, and that we were going to continue on in fluff, you were mistaken because right away in verse 13, he wants you to know something important is coming. He hasn't told us yet what it is, right? 
preparing your minds for action, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Those are just, it leaves you anticipating what's about to come, right? As you are preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, then what? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've already been talking about reasons for which your hope should be in Christ, right? In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is glorious language that just whets our appetite and and baits us for an anticipation of something to come. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been given this new living hope. This thing that we are looking forward to that will be revealed at the end of time. It's not fully been made manifest to us yet, although we are anticipating it. Although we are beginning to understand what it means that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been cleansed from our sin. And we now have an inheritance that we are going to receive that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and waiting for us in heaven. That's the hope that we are looking forward to. The thing that is yet to come. And now, that we get down to verse 13, he's reflecting back to this hope that we've already heard about just not that many verses ago, ten or fewer verses ago. We've been given this kind of hope and language, and now he's telling us, but now, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. It seems kind of weird to me. That you would have that kind of language right away here. Because all that he's been talking about up to this point is this great hope that we have. Like if you're revving me up and building me up because of this great birthday present that I'm going to have, and then you say, now prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. And be serious. Why? I was just excited. Yeah, but prepare yourself. Guard yourself. Because this hope that you have that's coming, this hope that's waiting for you in heaven, there are going to be things that are going to try and distract you from that. It's going to try and pull you away from that. Though you know how good it is, though we have been talking about how wonderful this is, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, waiting for you in heaven, though we've been talking about how marvelous and wonderful that is, there are going to be things that are going to sort of grab you and tweak you or distract you or wave at you. Like you've, you've seen those 
things that they post them on Facebook from time to time, right? Where somebody's running a race and they're winning. And then somebody calls to them or waves to them from the sideline. Hey, good job! And you look over it, yeah! And then you trip and fall and you get passed because you got distracted. You were so close and you were right on track. And then suddenly something distracted you and you fell over or, or slowed down or started celebrating too early. And what he's saying here is, look, you've got to prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Be serious. Be sober-minded. And set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope completely there. All of your attention, all of your focus, straight forward, right on this goal. Right on this goal. Because it's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a great salvation that has not been fully realized yet. And so until we get there, let's be disciplined to keep our eyes locked on the hope of Jesus that is coming. And here's how we might do that. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. If you were hearing this from a friend... It comes off a little pointed. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I hope Peter's our friend so that we can take that well. But here's his point before you had the hope of Jesus, you were passionate about many things because you didn't know any better. You didn't know what you should be doing. And so you were excited about all kinds of things. But now that the hope of Jesus has been put before you, don't be distracted by the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be distracted by those. Instead, keep your eyes locked. Remain disciplined. Remember what your goals are. What it is that you're trying to accomplish. I've talked with, some of you have been around long enough that you've heard me talk about the race to a hundred that I had with my uh, siblings. My, my sister knew me. She knew I had, had to have a goal and I was very competitive. And I had been complaining to her around Christmas time that I was not in very good shape and that I needed to do something about that. And so shortly after that, she issued me a challenge. She said, I'm going to run 100 miles. You want to race? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to race to 100 miles. Now, not 100 miles all at once. That would be ridiculous. Just the first one to run a hundred miles. And so I went and I ran a mile. And the next day I ran another mile. And then I ran three miles at a time. 
In less than four weeks, I worked myself up to running 12 miles in one stretch and getting up the next morning so that I could run another nine. Because I knew that if I left too much time between runs, my sister might pass me. And if I ran 20 miles in the last 12 hours, I would win this race. I hurt myself, but I won the race. I was locked on and I knew what my focus was. I was tired. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to run. But I knew what I was trying to accomplish. I was trying to get to a hundred miles faster than my sister. I forgot my original goal was to improve my health. I got so passionate about beating my sister that I hurt my knees and I hurt my feet and I hurt myself and I took the next three weeks off. (laughs) And I did what undid whatever good might have been done by the competition with my sister because I had been distracted. Do not be distracted by the passions of your former ignorance. The things that that grabbed your attention or lured you aside before you knew about Jesus. Or maybe those things that might distract you even though you know about Jesus, but they're tempting nonetheless. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Look, God is calling you to something that is radically different. He is calling you to be a person who is set apart for Him. He is set apart from everything. He is holy in perfection. And He's saying, now, come. Come and be My people. Come and be with Me and be set apart and be holy like I am holy. So as He who is the one who is calling you is holy, so you also be holy in everything you do. In all of your conduct, you also be holy. Just like God is holy. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I went to look up. Where is it written? I've heard that before somewhere. And so I I looked it up. And it's in, in Leviticus. Chapter 11, verse 44. And also verse 45. And also Leviticus 19 verse 2. And also Leviticus 20 verse 7. And verse 26. And chapter 21 verse 8. And also Exodus 19 verse 6. Among others, I'm sure. Because as God was calling His people to Himself and He was making a covenant with them on Mount Sinai, what He was saying to them is this. You will be distinct from all other peoples, because you are My people. And so you will be distinct in everything. In everything. And throughout the book of Leviticus, He tells them how to check the mold on their tents. Why? Because He's holy, and they will be holy like He is holy. 
He tells them how they will eat. He tells them how they will behave. He tells them everything that they will do because they will be holy as He is holy. They will be set apart as God's people and be distinct. Why? Because He is holy. He's holy. And now He is calling us. He's saying, I have called you. I've called you. I have provided Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for you so that you might be cleansed and made holy before me and so now live distinctly as holy people because you are mine and because I am holy. In verse uh, 26 of Leviticus 20, it says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples so that you shall be mine. That's just one for instance. Sometimes, though, we, we forget that it is God who is holy and it is He who has saved us and He has saved us so that we might be holy with Him. Somehow we think that um, we have this sin problem and so uh, we need to have the sin removed so that we don't feel guilty anymore or so that we won't be punished or so that something and, and it, that it's about us. And it, it's really not about you. God didn't save you so that you would feel better about yourselves. God saved you so that you could be His people set apart for Him. Holy, like Him. He goes on to say, And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's been using this kind of language that we are as God's people in a non-God environment. We are like exiles here. Foreigners in a distant land. Not really where we belong. Waiting for that time when it will be revealed who we are and that we are God's and we will be with Him. Remember that inheritance for us is waiting for us in heaven, not here on earth. And so while we are here as foreigners and exiles, uh, we should conduct ourselves, he says, with fear throughout our time here. Why? Because the one that we call on as Father judges impartially according to each one's deeds. We, we make a really big deal about the love of God and about how God loves us like a father and we are adopted as His children and we should make a big deal about that. Because God does love you. He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins so that if you believe in Him, you will be saved. That's how much He loves you. But don't confuse that with um, somehow being trite or flippant with God. Because your God, your Heavenly Father, is holy. And He judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Think about this. If your father was a cop, and you're speeding down the road, and suddenly the lights come on behind you, (sighs) 
you get pulled over, you look in the mirror as the cop is coming, oh, good, it's just dad. Hi, dad. What are you doing? Driving? Do you know how fast you were going? Maybe a little too fast? Yeah. Maybe a little too fast. 12 miles over the speed limit. Sorry, Dad. Now, don't forget the roles, right? This is the father, and so you're, you're acting casually because, well, that's just dad. Everybody else knows. If I get pulled over because I'm going too fast, a ticket is coming. Discipline is coming. Some sort of consequences are coming. We don't handle that casually. So now the, the police officer at the door, who's the dad, who's the father, is going, I'm going to write you a ticket. What? Seriously? I'm your kid. Yes. And I love you, but I am not partial. I'm going to judge this impartially because I'm your dad. Write the ticket. Hand the ticket over. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear because God judges impartially. Be afraid. I, I, think, I think that fear is a proper appreciation of danger. If you're handling a table saw, you should be afraid. You should have a proper fear of that table saw. A proper appreciation of the danger that comes with a table saw. If you run your hand like this with the piece of wood, the thumb disappears. Just sliced right off. The table saw doesn't care how familiar you are with it. The table saw doesn't care how many boards you have run through this thing before. If you get casual with that table saw, you lose fingers. Fear is an appropriate appreciation of the danger that's there. God is an impartial judge. He is watching the things that you do. And there are times that he's going, why are you doing that? So throughout the time of your exile here on earth, you should conduct yourself with fear, expecting that God knows what you're up to. Now, am I saying that even if I believe in Jesus, I should be terrified? About the judgment day when I stand before God? I do believe 
that when I believe in Jesus, I will stand before Him and every single sin, I will say, I claim the blood of Jesus. But I don't think anybody is going to go giggling into the judgment of God. You're not going to be standing in line going, <laughs> What? Oh, I'm just going to go into judgment. But it's just Dad. It's just my Heavenly Father. So I have all these sins, but Jesus is going to take care of those. Nobody's going giggling into the judgment of God. Have a proper appreciation of the danger that God judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Every single thing that you do and have done, you will give an account before our Creator, the most holy being in all of existence. And you will have to say, yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. Yes, I did that too. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. knowing that you were ransomed from those futile ways that were inherited from your forefathers, all those, those passionate things that you pursued before you knew, before your mind, your hope was fully set on Christ, all of those things, all of those, um, all of those futile things, you were ransomed from all of that. The police officer came and knocked on the door, he wrote you the ticket. You got home and had to confess to your dad, the same police officer, I got pulled over today. Yeah, I know. I got a ticket. I know. I owe $150. I know. Give me the ticket. I'm going to write a check. Because that same police officer who judges impartially is the same one who's taking care of the debt. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You weren't ransomed by money. You were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. Sometimes I think we devalue the significance, the value of that cost as though somehow it was just a $150 ticket. You can't pay for this. There aren't enough good deeds in all the world to pay for the sins that you've committed. 
There isn't enough money in your bank account. There's never been enough money coming through your hands, whether yours or somebody else's, that you have ever handled that you could use to pay this debt. It is beyond that. This is the life of Christ. We're not talking about a brother laying down his life for a friend. We're talking about the second person of the Trinity, God Himself, laying down His life for us. Sometimes I think that transactionally we look at this and go, well, that wasn't too bad a deal, actually. I mean, a one-for-one kind of thing, but, but Jesus laid down one life and look at all of the people that He saved. There's no comparison between the values of the lives that He saved and the life of the God who created the world. This was not an even exchange. So knowing that you were ransomed from those futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Again, that imagery that goes, takes us back to Leviticus that every time there was sin, you had to offer some sort of sacrifice. Some sort of sacrifice that had no blemish. And Jesus had no blemish and He was that sacrifice that stood in the gap for you. He laid down His life for you. And so knowing that you have an impartial judge, yes, we refer to Him as Father and He loves us as children, but He is impartial when He accounts for our actions. And knowing that the way that He has handled all of our sin is by putting Jesus, the author of life, on the cross so that He could die for our sins. For He was foreknown before the foundation of the world and was made manifest at the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. At the beginning of this we said we are to set our minds, set our hope fully on Jesus. The grace that will be uh, given to us, revealed to us at the last time through Jesus. Now He finishes in that same way. So that your faith and hope are in God. What happens so that your faith and hope are in, and hope are in God? Jesus, who was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Who was in existence before the foundation of the world but now has been made manifest, revealed to us in these last times for our sake, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. All of that took place so that your faith and hope are in God. If we back up a few verses from where we began and go back to verse 10 and 12, 11 and 12, It said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you. Through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Do you realize that the prophets who prophesied these things were waiting to see what would happen? Through the Holy Spirit, God had revealed to them the salvation that was to come, but they were writing it down, going, God, I'm trying to figure this out. When is this going to happen? Who will it come through? When God promised that He was going to, through the seed of the woman, crush the seed of the serpent, they knew. Someday, a Messiah is going to come. But they didn't know who and they didn't know when. And when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation and through your offspring all nations will be blessed. Abraham knew. It's coming, but I don't know who and I don't know when. And when He said to Moses, one will come after you, like you, to serve and redeem your people, Moses was going, it's coming. Somebody like me is coming. He's telling all of the nations, somebody like me is coming, but I don't know who and I don't know when. These people that we look back on and go, wow, look at the relationship that they had with God. Look at how close they were to God. Man, I wish I had that. They were wishing they had what you have. This longing of knowing who the Messiah would be and when He would come. Adam was waiting. Abraham was waiting and didn't know. Moses was waiting and didn't know. David, the promises were given to him. He was waiting and he didn't know. He knew one of his offspring was going to be on the the throne forever. But when? When, God? In fact, so often throughout the Psalms, this is coming up over again. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long must we wait until You will reveal Your salvation? Until You will come? How long must we wait? And then the prophets who prophesied, Isaiah talking about the suffering servant who would come, and he was going, when is this going to be, Lord? And Daniel who was searching carefully through the Scriptures and going, oh, it's almost here, it's almost here, the redemption of God is going to come. And God says, oh no, I'm sorry, Daniel, you misunderstood. It's just going to be a little lot bit longer yet. So that Daniel's going, oh, I thought it was almost time. Until finally, John the Baptist is proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus shows up on the scene and John goes, that's Him. That's Him. And He tells His disciples, that's Him. That's the guy. That's the one I've been proclaiming about. And he buries him and he raises, uh, buries him. He baptizes him and he pulls him back up and the dove descends down on him. And God proclaims from heaven like thunder, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus lives and he proclaims to his disciples, look, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming and you will see it. 
And he dies and is buried. And he rises again from the dead and the disciples go, This is it! We have to tell you! All of history has been pointing to this time! All of the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that they were writing, so that you would know who the Messiah was, so that you would know when the time had come. And now, we have something more sure. We have the Scriptures. All of them laid out so that we can see from beginning to end the whole story and the way that from before the foundation of the world He was foreknown, but in this last time has been revealed to us so that we may fully place our hope on Him. So prepare your minds for action. And be sober-minded because our Father is an impartial judge, but He has provided a propitiation for your sins, a substitute for you. And when we believe in Him, He is holding and, review, and, and um, preserving for us an inheritance in heaven that is undefiled and imperishable and will never fade away. From the beginning of time, this has been the plan. And it has been revealed to you. So now, be holy, for He is holy. And set your minds firmly on the grace that will be revealed to you through Jesus Christ the last time. Let's pray. Father, how great and glorious You are. Lord, how awesome is Your grace. That You have called us to believe in You. According to your great mercy, you have caused us to believe and saved us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, thank you that now you are guarding us through our faith for that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Lord, we wait with great anticipation. for the, that inheritance that will be revealed. And we ask that you would help us to keep it ever before our minds. That we would be prepared, ready to do battle. Ready to fight. To keep our focus on Him. Undistracted. By the passions of our former ignorance. Those futile ways that we have inherited from our forefathers. Father, may they have no hold on us because we are Your children. Raised to a new spiritual life with Christ. And for this we ask, may You get all of the praise and all of the glory today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Because of what You have done. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.